Hi, this is Shauna, the CEO and founder of Fuel Talent. One of the things I have loved most in my 25-year recruiting career has always been the stories that people tell. Stories of leadership, career choices, company ideas, and team building. My inspiration for starting the What Fuels You podcast came from being curious about people's lives and wanting to help share their stories. What path brought them to this place? What decisions did they make that led to failures and successes? Who influenced those decisions and what lessons were learned along the way? I hope you enjoy the What Fuels You podcast. Today's guest on the What Fuels You podcast is Matthew Marks. Matthew is CEO and co-founder of Evocalize, developers of the Evocalize collaborative marketing platform. Evocalize technology connects businesses to execute marketing programs together that are not possible on their own. Matt has spent over 20 years at the intersection of marketing and technology and has a particular passion for using technology to make great marketing simple. Prior to founding Evocalize, Matt worked on the senior leadership team for Austin-based marketing technology company, Bizarre Voice, the London-based strategy and consultancy PA consulting group, and on Oracle Retail Software Group. Matt has helped set advertising standards with the Interactive Advertising Bureau in New York and has an MBA from Babson College in Wellesley, Massachusetts. Welcome, Matt. So good to see you. Hey, Shauna. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Um, okay, so I know that you told me when we caught up that you have heard the podcast, so you know we start with rapid fire. All right, ready? What is your favorite outdoor activity? Hiking, backpacking. And what's the best region, in your opinion, for good wine? Uh, Walla Walla. Oh, interesting. What kind of wine? Local, local what, Washington. What wine do you like from Walla Walla? Oh gosh, um, uh, everything. I've just grown. We've, you know, since we've we've lived in Washington, we lived in Washington for uh, the past ten years. We've just grown super, like excited about um, about um, Washington Washington wines and yeah. Um, you know that area is uh, it just kind of developed a, yeah. a taste for it. I've done so. wine tasting there. Um, have you gone to Gramercy? Gramercy's I have. Always? It's fantastic. Okay. I have to give a plug because those are our good friends. So. <laughs> This is to Pam and Greg at Gramercy. Um, okay, who is, in your opinion, the best college football team? Texas A&M University, Giga Maggies. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Should have been in the playoffs last year, by the way, to all, all the college football fans out there. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. If you could be a famous athlete, which sport would you choose? Football. Oh, I'm a Texan. I'm a native Texan. So, uh, you know, I can't, you can't break too far from your roots. And did you play football growing up? I played as a, as a kid growing up. Um, but I was a swimmer, uh, in, in high school and in college, um, which I was better at than football, but. Oh, I didn't uh, know you were. So college athlete at A&M? Uh, yeah, I swam some at A&M, uh, and I was a high school swimmer in the state of Texas and, um, you know, uh, was a better high school swimmer than a college swimmer, uh, I get it. but I, get uh, it. I wasn't good. I wasn't good enough to play football, which was kind of my first love. Swimming, I think is safer. What are, um, the three most important traits that you hope to pass down to your kids? Um, it's a great question. It's not really rapid fire, but I'm trying to sneak it in. <laughs> you know what? Hard work. Um, so my, you know, 
uh, we're kind of on a, on a break from in-person school uh, where my kids are going to school right now. And, and so, uh, you know, my son is in the, in the office around the corner or my 11 year old son. And, and I tell him every day, hard work, right? So to me, hard work is a secret to everything. Um, if you're not willing to work hard, it doesn't matter how smart you are. Uh, you, you're not going to win. So, um, so hard work, perseverance, um, and respect are probably the three that I would um, in rapid fire uh, fashion um, tell my kids that I, I yeah. hope they have. Uh, I like that. I like this. Okay. Water or mountains? That's a tough one, especially now that I know you're a swimmer. Mountains. Uh, I just finished a fi- uh, 50 mile hike in the Goat Rocks wilderness up in, uh, up in, uh, uh, up in Washington. It was rad. I love, we lo- love the mountains. You're so hardcore. I had, I mean, I kind of had a sense, but I didn't realize 50 miles. That's so fun. It's That's just insane. like you get, get away from, you get far enough in there, you can get away from people even today. It's just, it's like, do you have, so... did you get blisters and who'd you do it with? <laughs> uh, I, I, I have a kind of a, a group of um, uh, kind of fellow, um, you know, uh, business leaders in the area that uh, in Washington friends, really good buddies that we go every year. And the kind of eight of us or 10 of us that will uh, go, but in any given trip, it's probably four, three, four, five. Um, so I went on this trip with a buddy of mine, uh, from, uh, he's actually at a company called second watch there, um, a local Seattle company that, uh, we went and did the, the, the go rocks trip. Wow. Very impressive. So you started saying, I know you're a native Texan. How, how do you define yourself? Like, what does that mean to you? I know that it's like a strong culture in that state. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I've traveled a lot. So I went to business school in Boston. I've lived in Seattle for, you know, eight years. And so, um, so I've bounced around, um, bounced around quite a bit. So I probably don't have, maybe you can pick up a little bit of an accent, but I, I haven't uh, heard it. I don't hear no, it at all. No, someone said, I hear your Texas accent through the day. And I, and I was surprised by that. So, um, you know, I, I, this state of Texas has a very strong culture. Um, and to some it's, it's, you know, super motivating and to others it's not. And, you know, I, I'm kind of in the middle. I love some things about Texas and, uh, um, it's, it's a, um, you know, it's, they have a lot of pride, you know, that, uh, Texans have a ton of pride and, and that's kind of neat, you know, um, it, it, to, to have a sense of community through pride and, uh, you know, and, and there's some other things that, um, you know, I, I could kind of leave. So, uh, but, you know, I think, I think about that, you know, the Republic of Texas and the, the independence movement and, you know, growing up as a kid, going to school in Texas, you pledge allegiance to the Texas flag, uh, <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. every morning and you sing the Texas uh, state am- anthem, right? And so yeah. these are just like core and built into the fabric of of growing up, you know, as a wow. kid. In, in are your state. parents Texans, like born and raised? No, we moved in. We moved in. So, uh, so I was uh, was kind of the first to be. Uh, uh, well, I'm the only child in our family to be born in Texas. So, yeah, I'm. Uh, yeah, I'm the only uh, native one. And how many kids are there in the family? Where are you in the birth order? Yeah, I'm the youngest. There are four of us. So, oh, um, you're the baby. I'm the baby. Not so much of a baby with this gray beard, but yeah. <laughs> and your parents, like what took them there? What did they do growing up? What was that whole childhood upbringing like? Well, we, uh, as a kid, I grew up in, uh, uh, little kid, I grew up in Pittsburgh, kind of um, up until elementary age, um, Pennsylvania. And my, my dad was um, in the oil and steel business. Um, and so uh, so he moved us around from, uh, they grew up in Cincinnati. My dad was a, 
was a professional baseball player for a number of years and then um, and then went into um, the, the oil and steel business. And that was wow. first big in those days. And then Houston was obviously a big energy and oil town um, in the early 80s was was kind of booming. And so um, so they, they moved us down to Houston. And, and that was, yeah. you know, I pictured coming as a little kid, you know, pre-elementary school, I pictured like huge vistas and horses everywhere. And, you know, yeah, like of course. cowboys. Cactus, yeah. You know, and then you get into Houston and it's like a suburb, you know, and they're, yeah. you know, it's, it was super different. Yeah. I pictured Dallas. Yeah. Like the show. Yeah. Like the TV show, Joan Collins and the big hair. And yeah, it's, that's amazing. And so did you go to public school or private school? Were you like a good public. student? Public. public, public. And I was a very mediocre student. <laughs> very mediocre, but you got into AM, which I know, I mean, I don't know how it is getting in there as a local, but um, I had a friend that got in there and it was, it's hard to get in from out of state. Yeah. I mean, it was, um, it, it was, I, I lucked out, you know, those days they were still, I don't know if they still do, but in those days they were taking test scores. And so I lucked out on the test score, you know, exception front and probably, you know, all three of my siblings had already gone there or were going there. So that, that'll be kind of a, uh, a know, legacy. Family, yeah. family legacy allegiance thing probably helped me, but, um, but I snuck, I kind of snuck in, I was a genetics undergrad. Um, so, uh, they were the number one school, uh, for genetics, um, uh, when I, when I was going to school. And so, um, so yeah, we went there and, um, uh, you know, I ended up in something very different than genetics, obviously, but, uh, yeah. How did you, I mean, what, what did you go there for? So you went there for genetics thinking you might pursue medicine or biotech or, you know, I feel like that's like ahead of its time. I feel like genetics keeps coming up in the last 20 years or 15 years. Yeah. You know, my team makes fun of me all the time, actually, because I told this story uh, of how I went to school um, one day, you know, over beers and it kind of made its way around the company. So I got picked on just a couple of mm-hmm. weeks ago on it. Um, so I had this dream as a kid, as a high school kid, that I think going into college that like if you could genetically engineer cactus and broccoli, like you could plant fields uh, of broccoli cactus in the desert in Africa and feed the continent. And so like, that was kind of my like naive, you know, childhood aspiration uh, coming out of high school and going to college. And so that's really why, why, you know, why I did what I did. And, um, you know, turns out uh, I'm in software today. So, uh, you know, I, I, (laughs) it wasn't as easy as I thought, and I wasn't as good as I thought I could be. Yeah. Uh, Did you uh, get, did you get recruited um, out of A&M for your first job out of college, or did you go right in to get your MBA? Like I'm, I'm curious how you made that decision even to get an MBA. Yeah, it's a great question. No, I was actually a non-traditional MBA and then I was a little bit later in my career. I, um, so I did, I actually um, left school for a year in the middle of my NM career. I got into tech, um, you know, kind of uh, software developments like that in the early days of web. Uh, that was kind of pre.com, you know, early, early dot com era. Like floppy and, disks. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Like, I'm just like teasing you. Floppies. Like, you know, we, they were the ENIAC and Ed Back, like yeah. room size computers. Uh, no, uh, so I went and worked for a year and then, uh, and then I was kind of a, kind of a tech guy from then on. Um, and, uh, and, you know, out of AM, I, I was a software engineer or, um, you know, out of undergrad, I was a software engineer for a little while. And, um, and then realized I was only a mediocre software engineer. I was probably, I was better at, um, kind of determining what products, um, to build and like what functionality. And it turns out that was a, 
product manager's job, which mm-hmm. I didn't even know existed. Well, you, it looks like you've done it all. I mean, literally, you're like a little Swiss Army knife. We could do, <laughs> did a little, did a little programming and coding, a little product, little sales. And did I read this right that you also had a little stint in investment banking and consulting, or did yeah. I read that wrong? Like, where no, where that whole thing fit into your world? Out of business school, so I I went to business school um, after um, gosh what, seven or eight years of uh, working in tech, um, running some some pretty big, you know, couple hundred million dollar projects as a kind of um, product director deal um, in software. And then I, I went back, uh, I went to Babson College, as, as you know, and um, up in New England, because I just love the entrepreneurship side of that. And then coming out of that, I thought, I want to go into, I want to go into strategy consulting and, you know, and, and that, that deal. So I worked for a firm, it's the largest strategy firm in London and bounced uh, back and forth um, between kind of New York and Boston. And um, we lived in Boston and uh, had our kids up there. So, um, so anyway, I, I've done a lot of different things. I, my one thing that I like to tell people is like, sometimes you kind of have to bounce around a little while to figure out what you love. And then when you figure out what you love, you, you, you get decent at it because you, you do what you love more than you're you do what you don't love, yeah. right? Yeah, like so you, you're gonna get good at whatever you, whatever you work, uh, whatever you like to do and, and work yeah. a lot of. Those are good. Those are good words of advice, also for our kids, because I feel like the kids today have so much pressure to like figure it all out, and it's such a pressure cooker. It's ridiculous. It's like I got lucky. I mean, I've been doing this since I was 22, and so 27 years. I will say my age. It's fine. <laughs> um, and I just feel like it's so random that I fell into something that feels so natural and that I love. Um, But yeah, I know that it's not common. I also know that getting that foundation, whether it's seven years after college or or later of an MBA plus investment banking and consulting, I feel like is like kind of the the unicorn triple whammy for you as a CEO. You've got, you've kind of so well-rounded. Well, thanks. You know, I, uh, I'd, I'd love to tell people that. No, I. Um, <laughs> no, frankly, it's interesting, Shauna, because you, you you're less suited for for a specific role. Like I can sell. I'm not a CRO. I can I can run product. That's probably the closest thing you have. Um, I can run engineering. I can because I've done a lot of those different things. But the CEO is um, certainly at our our scale, and, and who knows at a larger scale. But like at our scale and a little bit larger, you're doing so many different things all the time that knowing a little bit about it, uh, having done the job for a little while um, helps, you know? Oh, and yeah. so, um, so I, I'm, you know, we talk with investors and, and I bring up my kind of experience as an LP, you know, the folks who invest in, in the venture capitalists who then invest in us and, and all that stuff, I think helps understand perspective um, a little bit. And so, you know, like to your point, you tell the kids, right? Like figure it out. Well, it took me a decade to get back to like software, which is really what, you know, I think my kind of calling is. And so, um, yeah, sometimes it just takes a while, you know, yeah. but uh, sometimes and what, it works what out. Of these, which of these roles kind of, you've worked at some really cool companies along the way. We mentioned some of them in your intro um, have kind of prepared you most um, for your current gig evocalize founder and CEO mm-hmm. um, and also which of those companies had the culture you would most want to emulate uh, you know what I, I have to give props to um, Brant Barton and Brett Hurd who were the founders of my last uh, company um, where I was on the senior leadership team at Bizarre Voice in in uh, down in Austin uh, those guys like they just are fantastic culture people and um, and built a machine uh, built a, built an organization that um, 
that had a, a greater purpose and a greater calling. Um, and, uh, and that was kind of to democratize people's voices or consumers' voices um, so that, you know, when you brought a, bought a product or used a service, you weren't just hearing from the brand or the manufacturer, you were also hearing from the people who used the product. Um, and that mm. commonly was manifested in the, the product rating and review, which before them was limited to Amazon and a couple other little sites across the web. Now you see that everywhere you go um, because they built a platform to make it easy to, to do that in a safe and, and kind of moderated way that was also trustworthy. And like they built a platform uh, within their company, not tech, but the company's platform that um, that was meaningful and people wanted to support that. And so when you hired, you know, you, you hired high performing, like-minded people who wanted to, you know, kind of um, be a part of something bigger. And so I learned a lot from that. And then we, you know, I helped in a, in a modest way, but these guys um, grew the company to, you know, we took it public um, in 2012, and that whole journey was um, was pretty phenomenal from a learning perspective too. Even having been through a, you know a lot of other things and a lot of different you know roles and, and mm-hmm. doing different jobs, watching that and helping through that process was uh, was pretty neat. Mm-hmm. And so, what brought you to Seattle? Was that to start the Vocalize? Yeah, we actually incubated. Um, it, uh, so we took the um, the last company I was mentioning, Bizarre Voice, um, through the IPO process. And then six months later, you know, to me, it was already, what, 12, 1,500 people. Um, and it was a little too big for me at that point. So I broke off and started experimenting with what today became a Vocalize. And, um, and I did that in Austin, actually, because Bizarre Voice was based in Austin. And so we incubated in the Austin Technology Incubator, which is associated with UT. Uh, which to me as an Aggie uh, uh, was, you know, a little salt, but they, they run a great uh, program over there. So we started there, just experimented. And then our seed round, um, we had term sheets um, from a number of firms and cities across the country in Austin, in, um, in New York, uh, in Chicago, and in Seattle. And we thought that Madrona uh, Ventures in Seattle, best place for us um, to, um, to basically get going. Yeah. So how did you choose? And if you, if there were to be an entrepreneur listening, who's trying to choose who to partner with as an investor, what, what was your vetting process? Oh gosh. Well, I think, you know, obviously you look at domain expertise and expertise and successes with, um, with, with similar companies. Um, and I think that's super important. Um, but, uh, but you know, I think the per, the investor personality match is really important too. Um, and you know, Madrona kind of checks all the boxes if you're looking at um, funds, right? They mm-hmm. have lots of successes. They um, they're serious investors, um, but they also stick with you long term. Um, and so, um, so I think you know that's all really important, really important stuff when you're looking at investors. Totally. And who's who at Madrona is the is the partner and do they have a board seat? I'm assuming they do. Scott Jacobson has been a longtime partner. Um, they've been fantastic. Uh, Madrona, all, all the, the entire team, certainly Scott, um, they've been patient investors as we kind of figured some things out early in the early days. Yeah. Um, and as an entrepreneur, that's like the most, you know, one of the most important things. Um, some folks push you so hard in the early days um, before you're ready to to, to um, you know, before you really right. have product market fit to get out there. And right. that can be a t- tough thing, right? These guys are, are super, super patient. And methodical, um, it sounds like. Methodical. And so when you, when you talk about product market fit, what was the original idea and product and how has that changed or pivoted over time? 
So we had the con we had the idea, right? So if you, you can kind of tie these together, you think about the story that I've just told and where I came from and how I started the company, right? But um, so if you think about customer voice and data, right? So if you think about um, if you, if you think about people leaving opinions on products and services, right, through ratings and reviews and other things, there's a lot of like data signal you could pick up from that that could power um, more kind of automated, intelligent marketing based on data. So we had this core philosophy when we started the company that um, you know, there are a lot of people that now that in those days and still in 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 marketing and certainly paid marketing, which is which is kind of our area of focus that. Um, is driven by these large advertising agencies, right? And the large advertising agencies hire teams and teams of people, lots of them right out of school to press buttons all day long um, to, to run marketing programs. And we thought that was kind of silly, right? And so if you think about, um, because machines can do a lot of that and they can lift the humans up to a level above that. And the humans can set up kind of the, the construct, like the goals and what options the machine has. And the machine can do a lot of the work of figuring out how to drive ROI downstream, right? And so it gets a, it can get a little pedantic, but at, um, but the uh, we started out gathering a lot of that data that we needed to run the machine um, through surveying techniques and other things and then and then building models based on that and then and then automating the process of running marketing. And we did this for we started out in real estate. We did it for large real estate uh, portals. Um, if you know all the names for and, and we're pretty successful at it. But what we learned early on is we didn't actually have to do any of the data gathering or a lot of the data gathering itself because they were already data gathering, right? The, the data already existed. Um, and so it was kind of like an unnecessary piece. So um, three or four years ago, we wrapped that up and sold it. Um, to another tech company, that piece, and put that money back in the company, and um, that's that's helped us uh, helped us. Explore. Oh, interesting! And so the we that you're talking about, um, did you have? Do you have co-founders? And if so, I'm always curious about this. Is it like, hey, I like the people, and then we're going to go find the idea, or we have the idea and then we pitch it to the people? Like, what was the order and kind of birth story of these relationships? Yeah, so um, so my co-founder, uh, my co-founder came out of um, our last company, Bizarre Voice, together. He was our CTO there, um, and uh, and and I think you know going through this startup process, and so I think the the we want to go do a startup together thing happened, um, and we have this core thesis of uh, data driven marketing being kind of the future that that really wasn't there except for a couple of use cases in those days, and. Um, so that definitely happened uh, that that way for us. Um, I think, uh, though, through the course of that, you, you have kind of differing viewpoints sometimes in where the where the company should go and um, what it should do. And so, uh, so my co-founder isn't in the company anymore. Four or five years ago, um, uh, just a couple years in uh, to our journey, um, he broke off and and went to do other things. Um, and we. Um, took again. That's when we kind of took up that that piece of tech and sold it, and and um, used that to invest in the in the company. So we didn't need to go do another take another mm -hmm. funding round. Um, in those days, that that sale kind of um, fueled us for for some time. Yeah, I like it. Nice plug for the fuel. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> it fueled it. Um, so you talked about funding. You did the seed round with Madrona, and how much have you raised so far? And where are you in the funding process? 
So we've raised uh, about $5 million uh, in seed capital to date um, through Madrona and um, Second Century Ventures, which is the venture capital arm of the National Association of Realtors. Um, because again, we started in, in real estate and are, have kind of used that as our beachhead to expand. Um, and so they've been great partners. We also have Habanero Ventures um, to fund um, out of uh, out of Arizona. That's you know does a lot of commercial real estate investing and other things. And so, uh, it, so we've raised a, a fairly modest amount of money to date. Um, now, frankly, we're um, and I won't get into all the details, but we're we're now at a stage where. Um, it's time to pour fuel on the engine. And so, as you know, I think we talked about this in scheduling this, um, we're in, uh, we're in conversations with, uh, with investors now on that kind of our next round and next stage to, um, to go, uh, go even faster. We've been fortunate enough to have great clients and we've been making meaningful revenue or profitable for, you know, we can be profitable for a long time and putting that money in the bank as a company. So mm -hmm. uh, we uh, were fortunate enough to have great customers that pay and believe in our product enough to pay, you know, and that's helped us not have to raise until now. But now, you know, you raise in advance of revenue, right? So you go, okay, I can see the future. Uh, and we've booked, you know, quite a bit of um, sales uh, in the, the first half of the year, for instance. Um, and so you now you're like, okay, well, uh, you do it. You do a cost-benefit trade-off. I think people get into this train where they just raise to raise because that's the thing totally. to do. Totally. Um, yeah. And to me, and, and it also seems like purpose. it's fear-based. It feels like it's fear-based. Like, well, what if we just don't have the money? I better have it. And I'm like, well, you're diluting and diluting, diluting. And what are you doing with the money? Yeah. Well, that's the thing. And I think it's ego-based too, to some some degree. And so totally. you feel that in my you know my position, right? So you look at, okay, you go out and raise 50 million bucks or hundred million bucks. That's great. If you like feel like you can actually use that yeah. and, and get a get a 10x return on that um the next few years. But like um the the other side of that is <laughs> that, that doesn't work out sometimes, right? right. And that's and a it's bad... also, how about we build a profitable company instead? That's right. So yeah. at least build a profitable company until we know we have really high conviction that when we yeah. put a dollar in, we get five out, right? Yeah, and so, we have proof of concept. We have repeat customers. We yeah. have like less turnover, just like we, it's a, it's a smoother thing. Yeah. So yeah. that's, that's the decision. That's a decision we made a little earlier this year. And so we're, we're pretty deep in that process now, but, yeah. um, but uh, you know, it's a press the pedal kind of a moment um, for us, as you, as you know, working with us a little bit yeah. um, uh, as well. Yeah. It's super exciting. And so speaking of recruiting, how have you thought about it? Like what's your strategy um, and have you put some thought and effort into creating a diverse and inclusive environment? Yeah, to use you guys more, I think. I don't know if this is our strategy, hire experts. Um, no, I, I mean, I think uh, we're, we're kind of at that stage now, right, where um, uh, we, we doubled this year our staff already and we'll double to triple next year. So you're, you're kind of in that stage of um, it, we've, we've used um, mostly external folks, um, including you guys, um, to help us uh, bring on the strategic kind of leadership roles and key roles um, to date. Um, and I'm, pr I'm proud to say, I think we're, um, just somewhere right about 50% on our leadership team, uh, women and men. So the gender diversity and split is, um, there are some fantastic, um, women leaders, uh, powerful women leaders that, um, that folks, um, throughout our, our company can kind of learn from and, and be guided from. And, uh, we're still working on the, on, on, uh, on kind of the more, um, more diversity, uh, 
Yeah, more diversity. Yeah. It's, you know, it's uh, it's a challenge for a small growing company, right? Because you um, you don't have time sometimes to to wait, right? And so you have to fill a role or you can't yeah. grow. And so that's the balance we have right now. And, um, you know, we, we've, um, you know, we've made a, made an effort. We certainly have some, um, you know, uh, ethnic diversity, but we're, uh, we're, we're working on it. It's a challenge yeah. that we can It's hard. I mean, on. we've been, we've been working on it really hard. We're starting to watch the metrics and I think we're tracking it about, actually we're proud because we're doing it about 35% of our placements and we're we're tracking lgbtq and bipoc yep. and vets and it requires intention yep. and it requires focus i think it also is helpful to um embrace this kind of potentially remote situation yep. or, or hybrid how are you guys looking at that through the, the pandemic and going back yeah so it's an interesting story like we actually were one of the first, if not the first, companies to sh- to shut down in Seattle as the as the uh, pandemic started. Uh, the end of February, I think, we the last week of February is when we closed our physical uh, offices in 2000, and um, that was frankly just because I have an in my sister's a professor of epidemiology at, at Johns Hopkins, and so you know she, I fat phone called her, and it's just going to be a serious thing, you know, and she said, yeah, like get ready. So we're comfortable working remotely. Um, but I don't love it, right? I mean, I think uh, I think the hybrid workforce is where we'd love to be longer term. We have some folks that are not uh, that are outside of our of our core hubs of um, Seattle, obviously is our headquarters, and then Austin. We have a growing office in Austin, Texas. I love for folks to be able to come in one day a week, uh, you know, if or to come in more if they'd like, but to yeah. come in one day a week if we can have them close enough because I just think the culture of being around. Yeah, your colleagues. We've we've been doing it lately. Um, you know, one day, maybe two days a week, and I cannot tell you how much more we're getting done as far as the collaboration stuff, or just the quick like turn your head and ask a quick question. Um, it it is a thing, but it but from a recruiting standpoint, and back to the diversity and inclusion thing, it does open up obviously a wider net to have more flexibility around like where the people are. I think um, some of the roles that you were hiring for us, in fact, uh, you you mentioned to our head of client success, hey, uh, you, you might open this up to a more na- you know more fully remote nationwide uh, process. So I'm with you. I mean, it's just figuring it out, right? It's a, everything's evolving. It's a new world. I think if I have a preference, I'd have someone again be regionally based. So you know, even if you're yeah. you know an hour outside of either Austin or Seattle, you can come in. Uh, come in once a week and and have lunch with the crew, and we can whiteboard a little bit. Totally talk about strategy, um, but that's not always true. We have folks in South Carolina. Uh, we have folks, you know, um, that spend months in other areas too, um, that are from say Seattle or Austin and travel and spend um, our our uh, director of product uh, spend summers in Spain. Wow, I love it. Um, and did you feel like you led well through the pandemic? I mean, I know we were all pressed to be, um, you know, not just on and motivating and kind of reassuring, but also making good, smart business decisions because we were all looking at our balance sheets and trying to figure out what the, you know, what was happening. Yeah, it's uh, a great question. I don't know that I can ever say that I um, did well. It's like beaten, beaten into me, but the, you know, and we, you and I were talking uh the other day about uh you know everything in your life bleeds together in these times right and kids are 
you know, kids are trying to go to school remote and everyone knows the drill because we all live through it. But, um, you know, I think it was, it was pretty natural for us to transition. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it just wasn't, you know, it, fortunately we're in a world, right. Where, uh, everything's in the cloud, right. Everything's, we didn't have any on-premise. The only, the only disadvantage was again, the ability to, to, we lacked the ability to get on a whiteboard and, um, whiteboard and just, we like each other. I mean, the, totally. the, the company, company kind of likes each other. And so you got a little lonely. Um, but, uh, but I think we did a pretty good job. You know what, frankly, the team for me, it, our leadership team did an awesome job. Like for me, I kind of planted the seed, but it was the hiring that made it all happen because we brought people in that were not only great at their job, but they were great emotional leaders and very emotionally intelligent. And so, um, so for instance, you know, our, our, um, head of client success is a great female leader. Um, would organize um, happy hour, digital happy hours every week, like a, a bunch of folks did, right? And then our and then our head of finance, another great female leader, you know. And so you you get the the community really pulls together of uh, leadership, and that's what I think powered more of it yeah. than than me uh, as the single head. Yeah, and so it sounds like you hired some high EQ, but also kind of badass leaders. Are there attributes if someone's listening and they want to apply and they want to work there? Are there attributes that make somebody successful to vocalize? You know, obviously, data orientation and proficiency with like detailed data. Um, you know, we're a we're a data oriented company, um, but I'll say responsibility uh and independent the ability to work independently um the um the feeling of freedom and ownership and res- in the in the in the company and our mission and our future those are all things i think at a, at a at a more of a um behavioral level or meta level that make make folks successful the other thing is you know our our software is called collaborative marketing software but really like that bleeds into our culture that is the spirit of collaboration because we are we we won't we won't stand for folks who who don't you just won't work at Evoclise if you're not willing to collaborate. The whole concept of kind of um, politics or not my job or I, I just I can't work in that environment. So I'm not gonna run I'm not gonna run beat a company that has mm-hmm. that environment. And so we're really open, direct, honest uh, company culture and, um, and 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 that's pushed from the leadership, but it's also bottom up. Right, it's the entire company working together. We we vet for it very strongly in our in our recruiting process, um, and we've we there's some super um, skilled folks that we've not um, proceeded with or we have who have joined and, and haven't worked out that had been solely because of the culture uh, mm-hmm. cultural aspects. We just we, that's to me culture, you know. That, that old, uh, I think it's Peter Drucker quote, culture treat strategy for breakfast, um, you know, probably overused, but like, I believe in that to my core. If you don't have the culture, like you, you, you can't do anything because your strategy yeah. can change. I um, totally agree. I totally agree. So yeah, you've been knee deep in it. You got the, you've got your kids, you're kind of doing the, yeah. I guess we're not coming by coastal. We're doing the Texas Seattle thing. You're climbing crazy hikes for 50 miles. You're doing all sorts of badass things. How do you balance it all? Like, what do you do to set yourself up for a good day or a good week? Or does it change every day? Well, I do a couple little things. They're not like, they're not super spectacular, but, um, but uh, every day I do two things. I have coffee with my wife when I'm in town with my wife. 
um, which uh, it's just something that like kind of level sets the, the day in the morning and every other day it's a trade-off and sometimes it's a not my day, not my day, my day, your day, you're just getting out of bed first. And then, uh, so, that, so that's one. And then the more practical one I think is I try to write two things down every morning in my notebook um, before I log into my computer that I need to get accomplished that day and not from an action, not from a results perspective, but from an actions or activities perspective. Like, what do I need to do that day? So maybe it's, you know, in the sales context, maybe it's make, you know, 10, 10 key calls or five key calls or so it's not about winning the deal. It's about the action or the process to get the, yeah. uh, to, the momentum and to get the momentum that, you know, leads to whatever it is at the end of the yeah. day. Yeah. Is that mixed in with some personal or is it all just your, your notes are just around your business? Uh, it's mostly business. Yeah. Mostly uh, business, yeah. The, the personal stuff, try, you know, stays, uh, stays on off the, off the, uh, a different the written, notebook, the written, uh, the written notebook. Yeah. yeah. Are there things that people, you know, who are listening or maybe some old friend from Texas is going to randomly listen to this. Are, are there things that anybody would be surprised to learn about you? I mean, I've learned a few things that I was, I just didn't know. <laughs> um, you know, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm this weird mix of like geeky tech and, uh, and, and like oh, old school Texas. Right. And so I, like, I love tractors. So All right. that's something that people always laugh at. Uh, even in Texas and tech firms, people laugh at, I love tractors, old tractors, um, uh, I like digging holes with tractors, you know, I like, uh, planting trees. Like I just like doing physical, like, you know, um, yeah. Getting, with, getting with, your hands with machines. Yeah, yeah. And getting into the, getting the, in fact, uh, so last night, um, I, I ran outside and, um, we have some stuff being delivered and the trees kind of had grown over in this, the new house that we're in, as you know, Shauna. And, uh, so I ran out and I took a chainsaw and I, got a ladder and I just started like chainsawing, you know, cutting limbs on the tree. And it was so satisfying to like, to like yeah. trim the tree up and, uh, and, um, you know, cut them up. And uh, anyway, it was just, so I love that, that kind of, um, outdoor work with your hands kind of stuff. Yeah. And do you like to have goals around, um, your physicality, like this 50 mile thing? Is there like always something kind of on the calendar to look forward to, to keep you focused? Or is it like a buddy will call and be like, Hey, you want to go do this? And you're like, sure. And you're in a good enough shape to go do it. The, the longer, the longer, um, hikes. So my buddies and I try and do, um, one long I think for the last gosh, six or seven, eight years. Um, every summer we've done one long hike, right. Which is like for us, there are people who do, you know, way, way harder stuff than we do. But for us, um, you know, a, a 40 to a 70, 60 mile trip, which is kind of our sweet spot somewhere in there every summer, whether it's Olympics or the Cascades or North Cascades or, um, you know, Goat Rocks or, or in another state, it's, um, it takes prep for me, right? I, I can't just hop out of bed in, you know, in my mid forties and do that. Uh, so I, you know, so I try to, you know, set up a regimen every morning. I'll, I'll, you know, do an hour, hour and a half, and then you progressively make it a little harder. And then by the end of the day, I'm that like weirdo with the, with the full packed backpack with yeah. full weight on it, you know, yeah. walking everywhere. Including We've done a weighted vest. Gym. Do you have a weighted, <laughs> do you have a weighted vest? Those are the best. I'm old school. Cause you know, otherwise, if you don't, I've found that if you don't practice with the shoulder straps and the and the waist belt and the whole deal, like your your support muscles, um, kind of aren't don't strengthen uh, yeah. alongside of everything else. Yeah, 
And so do you listen to music, books on tape, podcasts? What do you do to pass that hour and a half? Um, you know, I listen to music sometimes, but I'll tell you if um, I really like listen, listening to, again, my you know, hobby is col college football. You opened kind of a, up the session with college football, which was super, I mean, it's no wonder you're so good at what you do. Uh, getting to the core of my hobbies, right? Like college football is a huge hobby of mine. And so it's an escape for me. And so I like to listen to uh, different college football, um, different college football podcasts, um, some for my school for Texas A&M and, um, and then, and then for other schools and, and kind of other, just other things. And, uh, to yeah. me, that's, that's probably what I do most. That's super fun. I love it. Um, okay. So my ultimate question always is what fuels you? You know, um, I think it's, I think the core of what fuels me is achievement. Um, and it's and it's the need to the need to achieve and to do something that you're proud of at the end of the day that you can look back and say later on in life um, I feel good about that right mm -hmm. um, and we you talked about you talked about what do you, you know with the kids uh, what do you push with the kids and to me it's perseverance and that hard work that I talked about um, it's not always going to be rosy right so um, to me achievement takes focus, hard work, and perseverance, um, and getting through the hard times. Thank you for listening to the What Fuels You podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, and follow us on social media to keep up with the latest news and episodes. You can also contact us at podcast at fueltalent.com to provide feedback, ask questions, and share topics or guests you would like us to cover in the future. We hope you feel inspired by our guests and that we have helped fuel your day. Join us next time for another episode of What Fuels You.